you're not selling long-term care insurance. You're helping them evaluate their options, addressing the risk, and really asking them to make a decision. Are you going to self-insure or self-fund, or are we going to transfer some of this risk and leverage other companies' assets? Wealthy people understand leverage. That's how they became wealthy, is by leveraging other people's money. If my mom didn't believe me, your clients may not believe you. So using those cost of care calculators to actually show them in your specific city. The term self-insurer is really sexy, but what you're actually gonna do is you're gonna self-fund. And that means that money's gonna come from your portfolio. It's gonna come from your 401k. It's gonna come from your retirement income. With the hybrid products, you're going to have long-term care, which statistically we know most people are going to need, but most people don't believe it. It also has a debt benefit behind it. If I don't need the care, I'm not just throwing my money away. You really need to understand the difference between a reimbursement benefit and an indemnity benefit. When their children come to ask why they don't have long-term care, we've properly documented that for the children and ourselves. If the clients do actually proceed with the long-term care, I always offer to wrap up the policy and package it with a bow on it and send it to their kids so that they know that their parents gave them this gift. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Stathis Mattel Industry Leadership and Success Podcast Series. This series focuses on industry-leading performance, success stories, and key business intelligence that will help you meet your leadership objectives. And now I'll turn it over to our hosts, Scott Stathis and Bob Mattel. Hello, I'm Scott Stathis, and welcome to this episode of Stathis Mattel Industry Leadership and Success called Leveraging Long-Term Care Options to Enhance Client Relationships. Today, we will focus on how to leverage the variety of LTC options to close the gap between those that have coverage and those that need coverage and doing it in such a way that positions you as the subject matter expert, helps you educate your clients and enables you to become a trusted advisor and grow your asset base. So to do this, we have assembled a group of subject matter experts who will introduce themselves shortly. But first, I'll pass it to my partner, Bob Mattel. Bob? Thanks, Scott. I am Bob Mattel. I am the co-host of this Industry Leadership and Success podcast. Long-term care insurance, what a topic today. So much to learn and share from our very knowledgeable panel. So sharpen your pencils, take lots of notes, and be prepared. Let's meet our panel. Let's start with you, Melissa. Yeah. Hey, Bob. Hi, Scott. I'm so happy to be here with you guys today. Thank you so much for having me. I am the head of distribution for life and long-term care insurance at Bright House Financial. Thank you for joining us. And we know it's quite hot down in Texas. We hope you're inside nice and cool. Megan from the great state of Washington. (laughs) Hi, Scott. Hi, Bob. Thanks for having me today. So my name is Megan Dornan. I'm with Wells Fargo Advisors. I am a financial advisor and also a certified financial planner. And I'm sure it's a lot cooler in Washington today than it is in Texas. Slightly, yes. And let's go to another hot spot in the country from Tampa, Florida, Renee Larson. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me today. My name is Renee Larson. I am the Vice President of Life and Long-Term Care Product Management for Raymond James Financial. Excellent. And again, thank you all for participating today. And let me pass the microphone over to our co-host, Scott Stathis. Bob's radio voice. <laughs> there we go. 
All right. So my first question is about the state of long-term care protection and when you look at the general public. So I, I used to work for LIMRA for a few years, and they've done a study recently, January of 2021, that shows that six in 10 participants would be interested in a hybrid life insurance and long-term care solution. Yet only 3% of the U.S. population owns a product that can help them cover the long-term care costs. So why does this gap exist? And what can we do as an industry, so both insurance carriers and financial professionals, what can we do to start closing the gap? Melissa, do you want to kick us off with that? Yeah. So Scott, this is the age old question, right? And frankly, it's because advisors aren't having the conversation with their clients about long-term care planning. And if they are having the conversation, they're generally making it be an emotional conversation instead of a financial one. I love that you used the word leverage in the title of this podcast because really long-term care insurance is as simple as taking a small portion of the client's portfolio and reallocating it into a vehicle where the client sees immediate guaranteed leverage. And then that leverage has the ability to grow over time. But instead of positioning it as a, a, an asset that can protect a client's portfolio and protect the client's retirement income, they're using this as an emotional conversation and it doesn't resonate well with the client. Now, from a carrier perspective, you know, I think we have to continue to make products more simple. We have to make them easier to understand, easier for advisors to communicate with their clients. And we've got to do a better job of preparing advisors to have the conversation with clients the right way. Because we oftentimes see the consumer mindset that they view long-term care insurance as an expense instead of as an investment that's going to protect them down the road. So, Melissa, the, there are a couple of things you said that are interesting, but the overall implication, I think one of the overall implications is that advisors need to do a better job in the discovery phase so it's easier to get into the long-term care discussion, right? Discovery is, I always say, the most important part of an advisor's job. Because if you clearly understand your client's needs and their emotions, you'll do a better job for them. And if you ask questions that are related to potential long-term care needs in the discovery process, then you're off and running having the right discussion. So it starts with asking the right questions. You agree? I agree completely. And we tend to see advisors shy away from questions around protection during discovery. Agreed. Because they're protecting their image. Think about the movie Groundhog Day and Bill Murray comes out the door and the insurance guy, Ned Ryerson, comes running up and he's like, no. Oh. And Phil avoids him every single day for the rest of the movie. They don't want people to think that they're Ned Ryerson. So they shy away from those conversations in the discovery. Now, our very best wealth managers, what we tend, we call true wealth managers. They're not just managing assets, but they are doing financial planning and they're including the conversation around long-term care, life insurance, disability in their initial conversations and doing discovery around that are the ones that tend to 
repeat that business through their practice on a consistent basis. And you're not to steal your thunder, Scott, that we have one of those people on this call today. And we'll be hearing from that person. So thank you for that, Melissa. And Renee, I want to get your thoughts on this as well. My The one statement I'll make is from a best practices standpoint, right? Because one of the parts of our job is looking at best practices. And that is the best advisors out there have an attitude and actually express this attitude in their opening statements to new clients that my job is A, to help you grow your assets and B, to help you protect your assets. And if I only are, if I'm only doing A, then I'm only doing half my job. And that as an opening statement opens the door to ask all the right questions as well. So that has to be the attitude, I believe, of a good advisor. You're helping grow assets and you're helping protect assets. With that, I'll pass it to you, Renee, because I think you have some thoughts in that regard. Absolutely. So when I speak to advisors, oftentimes what I hear from them is they don't talk about long-term care because it's a difficult conversation. And they also assume their clients want to self-insure, which most of them probably could self-insure. But when we sit down and we explain to our clients the different options that are available, because they're not aware that hybrid long-term care exists. They only know of traditional long-term care. And when you sit down and you explain to them that there's now this product line that is a use it or use it product, which is what I call it, where traditional long-term care was use it or lose it, they're very interested in it. And we as an industry need to continue to educate both our advisors, but even more importantly, our consumers about the need for long-term care and the options that they have to create a solution for their plan. So Renee, a use it or use it product. That's what you said. I love that. I think Absolutely. that's that's a great that's a great phrase. So Bob, I think you have a question that's going to bring Megan into this discussion if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yeah, yes, but I also want to go back to the whole self-insure thing actually just for one second. Yeah, you know, when somebody says I'm going to self-insure, do they really understand what that means? <laughs> you need a whole strategy around if you want to self-insure on top of it. Melissa. The term self-insure is really sexy, right? It intimates that the money's going to come from somewhere else. But what you're actually going to do is you're going to self-fund. And that means that money's going to come from your portfolio. It's going to come from your 401k. It's going to come from your retirement income. When an advisor says to a client, oh, you've got, you, you've got a $2.5 million net worth. You can self-insure. I think it makes the client like feel really important. I can self-insure. But they don't really understand where those assets are going to come from if they need them. Sure. Take five years of long-term care. You've just lost a half a million dollars easily out of that portfolio. And that's on the low end, probably. That's right. And if mom needs care and dad needs care, now you're talking about a million dollars. Exactly. Exactly. You have early onset dementia where you get diagnosed at 46 and now instead of three years of care, five years of care, you're talking about 15 years of care. And that can be really devastating, not just to a client's portfolio, but to their familiar relations. Absolutely. That's why I raise it because you hear that a lot when we talk about long-term care. And a lot of clients go right to the, oh, because they don't want to talk about it. Oh, I can self-insure. I've got $2 million. And I think it's the education process and the discovery about, let's talk about how those assets will be liquidated in case you need long-term care. Here's a product that can really help you accomplish what you need without 
going into that asset. This is a really good train of thought. And I just want to dig into this for a second. And Melissa, you may have the answer to this question or any of you. And that is, is there a good way for an advisor to do an ROI that compares buying a long-term care option and self-insuring? I'm actually going to let Megan answer that. I saw her shaking her head. Yeah, (laughs) she, I think she can be more specific than I can. Yeah, actually, the Bright House illustrations give you your internal rate of return right there on the illustration to show you the percentage yield you would need to get in the portfolio in order to match something where they leverage it right off the bat. And how how often is that effective when you get to show that to a client? I haven't had to get too far into the weeds with that with many clients, but it has been eye-opening for those few that we did. For most of them, we're talking bigger picture, the strategy, the leverage, and the tax benefits and things like that. And those are really the things that they grab onto. But for those who like to get into the weeds, that's been eye-opening. Yeah. So my guess is you don't need to get into the weeds too often because based on the discussion that you're having with your clients, they're already convinced that, yeah, it makes sense. Convinced might be a strong word, but they're in the direction or in the mindset where they're actually willing to look at it and see some of the benefits. Um, They're open to the conversation. All right. Cool. All right, Bob. So now back to your question. Back to the question that I have for you. And Megan, being a financial professional, for financial professionals who are new to the long-term care category as a product line, what initial steps should they take to to work long-term care solutions into their practice and client conversations. We talked before about discovery, and I'm sure that's part of it, but how can financial professionals identify potential opportunities with their clients? There's a couple of things here. So the very first thing, I think you need to have a financial plan. You need to understand where your client, what their goals are, where they're trying to go with their money and what keeps them up at night. From there, you have a foundation to have a conversation about pitfalls or risks to where they're trying to go with their money. And then that can naturally or organically open up conversations around risk management long-term. I think the second thing that they need financial professionals need to do is get educated. So know your resources whether that be internal or your wholesalers, and then really learn about the products so that you understand how to compare them apples to apples and help your client evaluate the pros and cons of each. And I think the last thing I would say, you need to reset your mindset. And I love what Melissa said about moving it from an emotional discussion to what I would call more of a strategic discussion so that you're not selling long-term care insurance. You are helping them evaluate their options, addressing the risk, and really asking them to make a decision. Are you going to self-insure or self-fund, or are we going to transfer some of this risk and leverage other people's assets or other companies' assets in this case? So burying your head in the sand, not a strategy. Make sure you make a very conscious decision around long-term care. So a lot of it's not even only just discovery, it's education. It's really helping the customers understand what the product can do for them. And I'm wondering, I was a branch manager back in the olden days, 80s and 90s, and we used to do a lot of seminars to really do the education process. I'm wondering if that's still a thing. Yeah, actually, during COVID, we did a lot of webinars and long-term care was one of our more popular topics. And I think it presented a nice opening for clients to get some more information, hear some about long-term care risks and why they may potentially want to hear more. So we did. Yeah, we absolutely took advantage of our Bright House resources and did some long-term care webinars during the pandemic. Yeah, I'm sure that has a lot to do with it. And the storytelling aspect of it is always important for this particular product because everyone's always got some kind of unfortunate story that they can share about what has happened to them or someone in their circle. Melissa, were you nodding? Did you have something to add to that? Yeah, I think that advisors don't 
take advantage of the resources that some of the carriers provide them. And they try to have that conversation the first couple of times by themselves instead of bringing in someone from one of the carriers to sit on one side of the table while the advisor and the client sit on the other side of the table and let that carrier wholesaler educate the advisor and the client at the same time. The advisor's then asking questions. They don't need to try to be an expert in the room. And then after the carrier wholesaler leaves, they have a just a real dialogue with the client about whether or not it's a good solution for them. And what we generally see is that you know, it takes a couple of times of having one of the carrier wholesalers with you to have that conversation. But then the advisor learns the product, they learn the information, they learn all the answers to the questions, and they start feeling more comfortable doing it on their own. And Megan is a foremost expert in this. And I love what she said about transferring risk, because that's what this really is. You're taking a small portion of assets and you're transferring the risk of a large expense to a third party. And in an environment like this, where we have incredibly high inflation, we're going to see the cost of care skyrocket over the next 20 years. I can't agree more. And transferring that risk is definitely important. And as you're saying that, I'm also thinking, transfer the knowledge as well. Use those wholesalers and all those folks listening in on this podcast. That is an extremely important aspect of this. You don't have to go it alone. There are plenty of resources out there in the industry with your insurance companies to really help provide the knowledge base that you need for yourselves as financial advisors and for your clients to help them really understand what this product can do and why self-insure may not be the way to go. I'm wondering also, one, one last question I'm adding on to this is, is there a thing as, and we used to do this again back in the day, with bringing the family in to make a sale as well, because the children sometimes are an important component of this type of a product, because it's basically, it's estate planning in a way. There's actually been, a, there was a recent Forbes article, Bob, that talked about that clients today over the age of 65, their number one concern is actually living well in retirement versus leaving a legacy. When you have a client who has a long-term care need that's unexpected, that they're not prepared for, and their legacy that they that was intended for the kids ends up being spent, we call that instead of the great wealth transfer, the great wealth erosion, those assets are going to get spent. And then at death, there is no legacy for the adult children. And the adult children are going to want to know from the financial advisor why they, their parents were not prepared for that. And where did their legacy go? So it's a real problem. And I think it's bringing adult children in to have that conversation, to educate them as well, so that they can then have the conversation and be a part of the decision with their parents is incredibly important. It's also part of being a trusted advisor because you also want to, don't want to get fired by the kids as a financial advisor. Yeah, that same Forbes article also says that 80% of the silent generation and baby boomers generation's children will not use their parents' financial advisor. And by including a long-term care conversation in their portfolio and into the practice, you can prevent that from happening. Another thing for our listeners to write down. With that, let me pass the microphone back to Scott. Yeah, I can't help but want to hear Megan's response to having meetings with the family. And I also have another question for you, Melissa, but Megan, let me just get your response to that first. 
So I have not actually had a meeting with any of the children present during the long-term care conversations, but we do often tell clients that we want to have this conversation, one, so they can make a conscious decision, and two, when their children come to ask why they don't have long-term care, we've properly documented that for the children and ourselves. If the clients do actually proceed with the long-term care, I always offer to wrap up the policy and package it with a bow on it and send it to their kids so that they know that their parents gave them this gift. So we're, we do somewhat incorporate the next gen, but we haven't had in, them in the meetings. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. So is it, did, have you not had them in the meetings because you don't think it's necessary or you just haven't taken that next step? Because I do hear a lot of advisors say for a variety of reasons, we need to start developing relationships with that next generation because that's where the assets are going. So is that a, a conscious effort as you see your business evolving or are you thinking not for other reasons? So we definitely incorporate next gen in other conversations and work with the children of our clients. We haven't worked it yet into the long-term care, but I can see that being very beneficial because then the value of protecting that assets and that wealth. So it transfers, I can see how the kids might be on board with that strategy. I love what you said though, about tying the policy up in a bow and sending it to them <laughs> as a present. That's awesome. <laughs> All right, Melissa, I have a question for you related to all the stuff we've been talking about, and it has to do with maybe advisors that are new to the long-term care equation and all the stuff that there is to learn because of all the combination products and different options. But B, and maybe more importantly, established advisors who have not really gotten comfortable with having the long-term care discussion. And we hear this with any type of protection discussion, right? Life insurance is classic. It's important, and you imply this, for those advisors, whether they're new or just inexperienced with this type of product, to realize the support that's available out there. So if you look at it from a kind of your best practices standpoint, meaning the advisors that have done really well, how have they leveraged your sales support offerings and what are the different offerings that that you guys have to support an advisor that realizes they should get into this conversation but are afraid to let's say we have the world's most awesome marketing department and the in-depth consumer research and educational pieces that they have built for us to help financial professionals understand the need and what solutions are available are vast. We, we could drown in the amount of material that we've got. And our wholesalers really work with advisors to find out what they know, what they need to know, and how they want to have that conversation with their clients. And those wholesalers are experts, not only on our marketing pieces and our consumer research and educational pieces, but they're also experts about the competition. So they can teach you what you need to know and put the right pieces in your hands to be able to help you have the right conversation. And to Megan's point earlier, client seminars. We do thousands of client seminars a year. And all we want to do in those client seminars is educate them about the cost of long-term care in their state where they live, because that varies vastly across the country. The inflation rate for care over the last 10 years in the state of North Carolina was 2.8%. But in the state of Nevada, it's 5.8%. And so you, educating clients about that and helping them see what the actual cost is going to be 
And then educating the advisor around the different types of clients. What are the, I'm sorry, the different types of products. What are the pros and cons of each one? What do you like about them? What do you not? What do you need to be able to discern to know which product to put in front of a client? And then I think that the biggest resource that we provide is what we call point of sale support. Our wholesalers can go and sit with the client and walk the client through all of this education so that the advisor can really be a trusted advisor versus feeling like a salesperson. Yeah, and I think that whole concept of being a trusted advisor is so critical, right? And one of the best ways you can do that is to really talk to your clients about all these different types of needs that may arise. You're educating them, like I said, working to to help them protect their assets as well as grow their assets. Renee, you have a thought? Yes, I just wanted to say I couldn't agree more with Melissa that educating our advisors and the clients of the cost of care is really where we need to begin because my personal experience was when my parents were looking for a long-term care facility for my grandmother, I told my mom at that point in 2008, it was going to be about $6,000 a month. And she disagreed with me and argued, and I'm sitting in my office here. I've been at Raymond James 16 years in this position. And she called me up one day and she's like, they want $7,000 a month, Renee. And I'm like, of course. But my point is, if my mom didn't believe me, your clients may not believe you. So using those cost of care calculators to actually show them in your specific city, this is what the average cost of care is for a semi-private room, a private room, home health care, whatever it is that they may be looking for their solution. Well, well, now let's get into a little bit of the the weeds, so to speak. There's so many bells and whistles with long-term care. The mechanics of long-term care products can be just so confusing for clients to understand. Renee, these hybrid products that combine life insurance and long-term care, do they make the conversation easier or more difficult? And how do you recommend we simplify the conversation? Is it one conversation for two products or is it easier because the hybrids are so much easier to understand from a long-term care perspective? Help me out. So I definitely think the hybrid products have made the conversations much easier because clients like the idea that they have a multi-use product. So with the hybrid products, you're going to have long-term care, which statistically we know most people are going to need, but most people don't believe it. So it also has a debt benefit behind it. If I don't need the care, I'm not just throwing my money away. And they like that idea that if I don't need care, my family is going to receive at least what I paid in as a premium back tax-free. Having the conversation is essential. Sitting down and explaining to clients that this product, it's not difficult. It's a product that gives you leverage if you need care. And if you don't need care, it's going to give you leverage and tax-free benefits for your family. So we as an industry need to do a better job educating both advisors and clients. I love that Bright House started doing commercials because it was forcing advisors that maybe were afraid to have a conversation. Their clients were coming in and saying, hey, I saw this. Why haven't we talked about it? And so as an industry, we need to go at it from all angles to get the message out there. Because as you stated originally, what, like single digit number of individuals have planned for this and have a plan in place for a long-term care event. (laughs) 
wait a minute. Did you say I'm going to get my premium back? Return yeah. premium? Oh, my God. Why wouldn't I want to do that? <laughs> exactly. And our worth clients love it because they understand leverage and they love the idea of leveraging the money and knowing that someone is going to benefit, whether it be themselves or their family's going to benefit either way. But if it's going to be in the form of long-term care benefits or if it's going to be in the form of a death benefit. Now, if you could just give me one policy for me and my wife, we'd have it done. Can you do that? Yes, we can. Melissa, I know you've been waiting to say something. I have two comments. One, this idea of leverage, we can't be dismissive about because wealthy people understand leverage. That's how they became wealthy is by leveraging other people's money. And so I think a lot of times advisors are dismissive of that leverage and they really shouldn't be. But as an industry, we've got to make products simpler. We, we can't make client, we can't make products so complicated that there's no way that the advisor can explain it, that there's no way that the client can understand it. Because the, what that tends to happen is then the client needs to think about it. And they start reading the 37 pages of the illustration and they try start trying to interpret the legalese and they become more and more confused. So products need to be simple to understand. They need to have guarantees. They need to have the ability to grow over time. And any bells and whistles beyond that, my personal opinion, just don't belong in a long-term care product. I absolutely agree. And I think the whole point of leverage is important as well, because as we go back to that whole self-insure, do you really want to take a million dollars out of your portfolio or do you want to spend 10 or 15% of it and pay the premiums to offset that million dollars? And the other part of a, a simple product is at the time of claim, they're getting what they thought they were going to get. Uh, I think where the long-term care industry as a whole got a bad rap was they clients didn't understand and their family didn't understand what they were purchasing and what to expect at the time of need. And just, just to tag on to that, and this is where advisors that are listening, pick up your pencils. You really need to understand the difference between a reimbursement benefit and an indemnity benefit. Because with a reimbursement and benefit, you've got to write the check to the adult daycare. And then you've got to fill out the claim form and send the claim form and the canceled check-in to the insurance company. And then you have to wait for them to send you back the reimbursed amount. So if you bought a long-term care policy with a reimbursement benefit and your monthly benefit is $10,000, and all you spend is $1,500, that $1,500 is all you're going to get. And that other $8,500 stays with the insurance carrier and you can't access it unless you're still needing care at the end of your contract. An indemnity benefit, you're going to fill out a one-time, it's once a year claim form, you send it in, insurance carrier is going to send you your entire $10,000 a month benefit every single month, regardless of how much you have in expenses. So Please know the difference and please make sure when you're looking at different products for your clients to consider reimbursement versus indemnity. Great, great information. Yeah, just to tag on to that, Melissa, it also gives you more freedom of where you want to have your care provided. 
So one of the things I do is I work as an advocate for our clients with insurance companies who maybe aren't able to collect a claim. And certain facilities, if you don't have the right number of patients or whatever it may be, don't qualify. And again, going back to what I said earlier, if the product is complex, now the claim becomes complex. And having reimbursement means that you have to fulfill all of these traits where indemnity, your doctor certifies that you need assistance with two of the six activities of daily living, or you have a cognitive impairment, your check comes every month. And to that point, Renee, you've also got to look at whether or not that indemnity contract allows family members and unskilled care. Some indemnity contracts, you have to be receiving, quote, skilled care, unquote, for it to count. And so you really want to make sure that it's what's called a cash indemnity product so that you can have a family member, a neighbor, whoever it is that you want to have come into your home and take care of you, that you can receive that full monthly benefit. Well, I want a hybrid product because it's one policy for two people. I get my money back. It's not a use it or lose it. So I'm sold. I'm ready. Maggie, did you have something to add? Somebody sell Bob a policy, please. (laughs) (laughs) And I think I'm the right age. I think the only thing I'd add about the hybrid too, that's been coming up a lot with clients is that you have a fixed premium. So you know exactly how much you're going to pay into the policy. With some of the older style policies, those premiums have been going up and it feels very gougy, even though it could be still great leverage for what they're paying. It's just very uncomfortable and they just don't want to pay those higher premiums when they get those notices. So to be able to know exactly what you're getting into, the cost of it has been a value add for clients. This has been a great conversation and we didn't have Ned Ryerson to bother us either. Good stuff indeed. Scott, it's your turn. Yeah, so I have a, this question may seem odd in the long-term care discussion because it's a technology-oriented question. Technology has affected everything and certainly impacts the client experience. So I'm just wondering, Megan, I'll look towards you for this first. So I'm wondering, is technology a factor when determining the products you're going to sell? Do you know, How important is a streamlined underwriting process and processes for claims, et cetera, because that's all reliant on technology now? How does technology come into play? So my top priority is to present the options that are most suitable to the clients and then help them identify the pros and cons and then address their questions and concerns. So I don't lead with technology, but Brighthouse definitely leads the pack when it comes to technology. And we've had great client experiences because of their technology. We've been able to basically from start to finish have the policy placed within a week or less. And so where that actually adds a lot of value as an advisor is that has freed up a lot of time for me to be able to continue and have more of those long-term care discussions. So I don't lead with the technology, but it definitely has had a lot of added a lot of value to our practice and our ability to have more of those conversations. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, technology has affected everything, right? And so most prominently the client experience and clients, when they think of their experience, their client experience, they're not just thinking of our industry because Amazon affects their client experience. So they're expecting something similar from us perhaps, or at least a smooth process. So that does make a difference, Melissa. 
Yeah, so I'm not going to claim that we're Amazon, but I will say that having a reflexive underwriting platform where the client only has to answer the questions that pertain to them versus answering every single question in a 52-page application is a better client experience. Clients under the age of 65 not being required to do a cognitive, that's a better experience. Clients under the age of 65 not having to order medical records. We turn around clients under the age of 65 policies in 24 hours. And it's unheard of in our industry. And our underwriting department, I think is just, it's first class. Our industry decline rate is 30% and ours is only 15 and we do all of that because we want to make this an awesome advisor experience so that it's an awesome client experience. Because if Megan has a bad experience with our process, then she's not going to use us again. And that keeps the rest of her client base from ever having heard the story. Not only, Melissa, do I completely agree with what you said, but we've heard that in other conversations. And like I said, t technology has affected everything, but most prominently the client experience. And Melissa, from your perspective, you have the clients are the advisors. And Megan, from your perspective, your clients are the consumers, right? So it affects both. It's all the way through the process. You remembered what you were going to say. Megan. Yes. The <laughs> one thing I wanted to add to what Melissa was saying is that their application is so slick. The clients are able to breeze through that fairly quickly if they're relatively healthy. And oftentimes, I actually, clients don't have anything to compare it to. They haven't done another long-term care application. So I do have to point out to them and highlight them how smooth the process is, how quick it is, how quick underwriting is, so that they do recognize how good the experience was because again, nothing to compare it to. All right, Bob, I think uh, you're queued up for the next question. Yes, I am. And there's a lot of bankers listening in and uh, Scott and I spend most of our time talking to financial professionals and they always say it's tough to talk protection. So they've given us so many reasons why long-term care products may not be conducive in a bank or credit union environment. And with challenges ranging from the difficult nature of starting a conversation about long-term care to commission structures, to timing, to underwriting. What are some of the opt obstacles that you've encountered with long-term care solutions and how do you overcome them, Megan? So real quick, I want to make a comment on one of your parts of the question there. So yes, the conversations can absolutely be difficult to have, but if you move away from that emotional piece, as Melissa mentioned, and talk about the strategy and the benefits to the client, it can open up some doors there for you. I always like to have that foundation of the plan and then typically I will plant the seeds along the way. So it's not going to be, we're going to talk about long-term care today. Have you thought about it? Maybe at our next meeting, we can review this. And so it's just continuing to plant the seeds about the risk along the way. So some of the objections we hit on earlier though, that if you don't use it, you lose it. And the hybrid has just eliminated that. That's no longer an objection that needs to have a difficult explanation or conversation around it. And then another objection is it's really, my parents have a policy and I can never get the money out of the policy. They won't reimburse, they reject their denial of the claims. Again, the indemnity that kind of eliminates a difficult conversation because they've addressed that. So those come up quite a bit. And if you know about the Bright House policy and you can explain those benefits, that's a fairly easy conversation or objections to overcome. Melissa, you had something to add? Yeah, so I think the conversation's difficult because the advisors assume the conversation is going to be difficult. They, they, they go into it not feeling confident about it. And they go into it assuming that the client's not going to want to talk about it. And it's actually 
the opposite. The stats that Scott rattled off at the beginning of the podcast about six out of 10 clients say that they would purchase long-term care. You should assume that six out of 10 of your conversations are going to go pretty smoothly and that the other four are just going to say no thank you, but they're going to appreciate the fact that you thought enough of your relationship with them to inquire and educate them. And you make that conversation easy by doing it exactly the same way that you have every other conversation. You are consistently managing that client's portfolio and looking for opportunities to help them achieve their goals and their dreams. This is just one more way that you're doing that as their wealth manager. And so have the same conversation that you would if you were going to talk to them about a new bond fund or a new money manager. You're recommending a change. You're going to educate them on the details of the change. And then you're going to let the client make the decision of what's best for them. And if they decide to move forward, that's great. And if they decide not to, that's great. It's no reflection of you. I absolutely agree. And have you also thought about getting into the conversation about, obviously, we're just talking about grow and protect. What about protecting your retirement income with something like this? That's right. It could be a real drag, right? It really is. And Renee alluded to this earlier, the use it or use it. And she talked a little bit about the death benefit. But I like to draw a picture. Every advisor on the planet understands that circle with the lines drawn through it for the asset allocation wheel. You've got cash, you've got stocks, you've got bonds, and you have everything else. If you take a little sliver of that cash and you can leverage it into two to four times immediate guaranteed leverage, and yet you never use that leverage, you get one to one and a half times back in a tax-free death benefit. Above that asset allocation circle, that little sliver of cash just became an umbrella that protects the portfolio and the retirement income that's going to come from that portfolio. We can teach you how to draw that picture for your clients just as a really simple way to help them understand what hybrid long-term care looks like. It's a great visual. It really resonates with clients. Another visual also is there's six core needs that every client has. You've got liquidity, credit, income now, income later, protection, and legacy. I can make a case right now that a long-term care policy will help you with income later, protection, and legacy. That's three of the six core needs with one product. I would add liquidity too. Because if you're in a position in retirement where you don't have excess liquidity, a long-term care policy is going to give that to you because with an indemnity benefit, you can spend the money on what you fit regardless of what your actual long-term care expenses are. And my final point is not to mention what a great product to talk about in this environment when everything else is just like going crazy with the volatility. Let's talk about long-term care. I rest. (laughs) Bob rests his case. I have a a question for you because we've been talking about what is and and we all know because we've been in this industry for a while that the last, I'll say, decade and a half has been pretty revolutionary for long-term care products with the advent of hybrid products, et cetera. But is it going to end there? So what's coming? What if, Renee, so if you look towards the future… Are you, what trends are you seeing in, in our channel and the regulatory environment, client expectations, et cetera? So the industry is reacting to this increase in scrutiny on our products and our offerings. And really the advisors are now being mandated, not that they always didn't do it, but act in clients' best interest. 
And so having, like Melissa said, simplified products that we can explain easily to clients and they have guarantees are great, guaranteed premium, guaranteed death benefit. Those things are all uh, making the regulators quite happy. So I think we're going to see a flight to safety and continue to see products become simpler, not more complex. Yeah, I'm into simplification, the easy button. So so when you say simpler, does that conflict with the term hybrid or not? Absolutely not. Okay. Uh, it's a very simple story. You put in your premium, it's guaranteed for X number of years. You're going to get this benefit minimally and it will grow over time based on whatever inflation option you choose. And if you don't need it, you get this death benefit. Simpler also means, like we talked about with Megan earlier, the process. And I think that's the biggest hurdle our industry has is our processes are so outdated and they take so long to get a client from application to actually issue that an advisor has to resell the plan five, six times because the client expects, like most things like Amazon, for us to have this done in a day. And yes, if we have younger clients with Bright House, I personally sold a Bright House policy that was issued within 15 hours, but it, we need to make it easy. We need to make it intuitive. We need to make everything electronic because that's where our, in, our world is going. People don't fill out paper applications. I didn't fill out a paper application for my mortgage. So why am I filling out a paper application for my insurance needs? Yeah, no, agreed. I don't know this, but it's a it's kind of a gut. There are some advisors out there, maybe they're the newer advisors, maybe not, that that see the long-term care landscape as okay, there's straight on long-term care insurance. There's life long-term care hybrid, there's annuity long-term care hybrid. And they get a little bit overwhelmed. They think it's just too complicated, it's too hard to explain to clients, et cetera. But reality is, and Renee, you just said that this, it, the hybrids can actually simplify the conversation, but advisors just need to realize that and be prompted to, to realize that. So it's just an observation. Megan, would you agree with that? I think there are a lot of options. And I think if you know your client and then generally what each option leverages the best, it really helps guide you and typically back to the hybrid policy, but you can simplify it for yourself and the client if you just have a general knowledge of each. Yeah. And it's not as hard as it seems to understand the difference between the products and what the different benefits are. Melissa? Okay. Yeah. yeah, but if you're confused, don't stick your head in the sand. Yeah. Good point. Ra raise your hand and reach out to one of the carrier partners and say, hey, look, I know I need to be having this conversation. I don't feel confident having this conversation. Can you help me? Because that's what we're there for. That's what we have boots on the ground for. And so burying your head in the sand doesn't do you and your practice any good. And it most certainly doesn't do your clients any good. Yeah, great point. Totally agree. Bob, I think you have a wrap-up question and maybe we have a fun question. Is that right? I think we have both. But did I hear you say 15 hours, Renee? I, you did. I mean, 15 hours to get a policy. Okay. I heard, I, heard it, I heard it a couple of times. And I think I just said it three times. So <laughs> I do have a wrap-up question. And we'll go around the table with this. When you think about the role you play in helping clients secure their financial future, what tips or advice would you give to financial professionals out there that are new to the long-term care space? 
Renee, let's start with you. Let's say your clients want to have the conversation. And it's our job to find the resources we need to have the effective conversation with the client. I always tell clients, long-term care insurance and long-term care planning is not for you. You're going to get the care that you need. It's for your family so that your family has a plan where they can go and resource and have resources to help provide you with the care. It elevates your loved ones from being your caregiver to your care manager. And so what I've seen is clients are very proud of themselves after they implement a long-term care plan. And then because they're so proud of themselves, they tell their friends. So also potential referrals because you cared about them enough to sit down and create a plan that's going to make their family during this hardest hardest time of their life be able to have a little bit of assistance, have guidance. It is definitely something that I would encourage everyone on the call to do is just start the conversation. If you don't know how to start the conversation, leverage your resources because we do. You're almost moving from financial professional to life coach with this product. Absolutely. So Megan, what are your thoughts? I, Renee, that was beautiful. I completely agree. I mean, you need to educate yourself and leverage your resources, understand what you have to offer. So you have confidence around those conversations. And I think just to get comfortable, just practice asking the question, have you reviewed your options around long-term care? So you can feel good about asking that question to clients, feel comfortable asking it so you can start that conversation. Absolutely. And Melissa, thoughts? If you're new to long-term care and you don't know what your options are, reach out to a carrier partner. Say to your client, I want to have this conversation because I feel like it's in your best interest, but I'm not an expert on this. So I'm going to bring an expert in to educate us both. Your client will not think any less of you because you don't know every detail that there is to know about long-term care. Renee said, we're experts, lean on us and let us help you, but just have the conversation. And that's really what it's all about. It's education, it's having those conversations, using those discovery questions and really digging down deeper and really educating the customer and helping them understand what this is all about. I had a couple of takeaways I just wanted to throw out there. First of all, I was saying three of the core needs. We found a solution that can meet four of the core needs that every client has. That's crazy good. Self-insure, really? I think we've put that to rest. And then finally, I never thought we would be talking about Bill Murray and Ned Ryerson on a podcast, but sure enough, they have entered the conversation on what not to be. So I think there's those are the top takeaways for me. We do have a lightning round question. We always hit the bell before that, so hold on. That's the bell. And keeping in line with what's been going around in terms of weather, we want to have some fun and just ask each of you a lightning round question around the weather. And let's start with Melissa, who's been suffering with some weather. Do you prefer 90 degrees and humidity or 50 degrees and windy? I prefer either to 100 degrees with 112 degree heat index, which is what it's been in San Antonio, Texas for more than 60 days in a row, Bob. But if I have to choose one, I still have to go with the 90 degrees because you can't hang out by the pool when it's 50 and windy. I 
absolutely agree with you because I don't like Chicago when it's 50 and windy. Uh, Renee, down in Tampa. <laughs> Native Floridian. So all day long, I'll take 90 and humidity over cold and windy. Which you never get in Tampa. You never get no. <laughs> but I bet you, Megan, you've gotten a few of those. We do. So 90 and humidity or 50 and windy? 90 in humidity. I get enough 50 and windy here. I'm good. <laughs> so, about, so how many 90 degree days do you actually get up in Washington? We actually are going to hit 95 today. Wow. Uh, we do occasionally get them. Last year we hit, I think, 114 degrees, which was a record. But yeah, 90, it happens in the summer a few times. Awesome. And you have to ask Scott, because the one thing Scott and I don't get to do is ask each other questions. So Scott. I'll have to go with the majority here, the 90 in humidity, only because... I like doing a lot of stuff outside and there's not much fun you can do when it's 50 and windy. There's just nothing. But when it's 90 and humid, there's still fun stuff you can do outside. Most of it involves water, but <laughs> it's still fun. So yeah, I'll go with that. And Bob, I think you probably have the same response, right? My guess? I absolutely do. And I tried to get out of hating the winter by trying to go skiing and then I kept falling in the snow and I'm like, that's no fun either. So give me 90 and humidity any day of the week. I'll do skiing, but I don't like windy skiing. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm good. I'm good with that. But yeah, all right. Well, I think we're wrapped. And I want to thank all of you for a really good discussion. Much appreciated. I think there's a lot of valuable stuff that you shared with our listeners. And I think they will find value in, in listening to this episode. So thank you very much for participating and taking the time out of your day to to be with us. Bob, I think you have some formal or maybe not so formal closing comments. <laughs> Other than thanking Bright House for sponsoring this podcast and our panel, I think we've really done a good job today of educating our listeners on what long-term care is all about. And hopefully you've taken notes, replay this podcast over and over again until you too become a product and subject matter expert and treat your customers with the fine care that everyone else needs to do. Thank you so much. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> All right. Thanks again, everybody. And goodbye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Industry Leadership and Success. We hope you found the discussion enjoyable and valuable. Also, don't forget to check out our two other podcast series, Untangling FinTech and BISA Industry Trend Watch. Please subscribe to our podcast and join us again for future episodes.